You are listening to the Magnetic Marketing Marketing Secret Gold Members Only Podcast. Okay, so we shall go to work since we're already starting seven minutes behind. Um, and we will try and make you some money tonight. Um, I want to talk about being very specific in your search, selection, attraction, um, and specifically about being that for really high-value customers, clients, patients, or donors, for those of you that are a nonprofit, the principles are the same. And so the term whale, if you don't know, is kind of comes from Vegas. It comes from the gambling industry. They talk about hunting for whales. There's a really cool book, by the way, called A Whale Hunt in the Desert. I don't remember the author's name, but it is a book by, it's nonfiction, it's a book by a very famous uh, casino host, the person in charge of handling whales and recruiting whales for casinos before they all became corporate. There is still whale management, but it's not like it was before they all became corporate. It's a very cool book, just as an aside. So we're going to talk about hunting for, finding, choosing, and attracting whales. And so the first sort of preliminary question to think about is to define what a whale is for you. And that will be a different definition, in some respects at least, than it would be for me. I'm going to share mine just as an example, but it would be a different definition. Even if there's two dentists sitting side by side in the room, they might very well define what a whale is to them differently because it is not just about the monetary value necessarily of the customer. It is about is it a, the kind of customer you want to deal with or not, although monetary value is important. Generally speaking, Vegas's definition is, is that a whale is someone worth somewhere between five times and 50 times their average customer and they will count them as a whale. They obviously prefer those who are worth 50 times more than worth five times more. Um, and a, a part of what many people look for is the multiplier effect. So if you have a choice between two clients and one of them has a great circle of influence and another one does not have a great circle of influence, most people would rather have the one with a great circle of influence. I, for example, am not a great influencer for the people I do business with locally uh, because I hide out at home. So I'm a hermit. My friends and quasi-friends and almost friends and used-to-be friends are mostly distanced. You know, they're all over the country. So for the local property and casualty insurance guy who has me as a client, I'm a good client, but in this particular category, I'm not very useful to him because I'm not a good source of, of referrals. And if he was setting out to get somebody, he might very well be better advised to try and get somebody who he could multiply. So the first thing to understand about all this is very few business people ever give this any thought. Most people, their approach to customers is anybody they can get. And furthermore, they make no differential adjustments once they get a buyer for the first time 
in how they're going to weight their resources and their time and their energy in developing those buyers into customers. They don't have five questions to ask them to get data to tell them this is a potential whale, this isn't, gee, I'll spend 10 times more money, energy, and effort turning this one into a really good customer than I will turning this one into a really good customer. So even people that collect data like and collect customer names, so if you go to a really nice restaurant for the first time and they actually, which will only happen about one out of every five times, but they actually get your information and they succeed in putting you on a list, however many they got that night will all be on the same list and will all be dealt with exactly the same way. Nobody will now sit down with information they collected about each one of those people or information they might go get about each one of those people and make value judgments of, oh, okay, we got 22 people in here for the first time tonight that we collected information on. Which four are the whales? Which four are going to be more valuable to us in the future than the other 16? Hardly anybody does that. Hardly anybody bothers to take those customer names and go Google them or go Facebook them and see what you might be able to determine about those customers that would help you find a whale. So it's read, there's information readily available now that people don't even use. So the first thing is to start thinking in these terms of there is differential customer value. Not all customers are the same. Some are more valuable to you than others, and it's important for you to have a definition of what makes a really, really, really valuable customer for you. We know, for example, in businesses where we are selling to the parent for use by the child, that automatically a household with three kids is more valuable than a household with one kid. Because right? all three of them are going to have the same problem. And all three of them are going to need the same product at some point during their life cycle. So one of the things we want to know every time we get a new customer is how many kids they got. Because we'll spend more money communicating with the ones that got three than the ones that got one because they're going to be three times more valuable. Now, again, hardly anybody goes through this process except some really true core direct marketers. So I'll take you through a few examples of whale definition markers, how people in different businesses might determine, might mark a whale. For financial advisors, it is often the amount of investable assets they have that is not necessarily predicted by current income because somebody could have stopped their income earning years but have a great deal of net worth. But it's the amount of investable assets they have and it's a conservative mentality for most advisors because most advisors do conservative things with a 55 to 75-year-old person's money. So they want them to have a conservative mentality, which one of the ways that's revealed is they have a paid-off house. All right? And they have a certain amount of investable assets. And the way somebody in the advisory business would use that is they try and engineer their marketing to bring people to them that have a high number of investable assets and have a paid-for house. Um, the, somebody selling really weird investments, the exotic stuff, you know, llama farm derivatives. Um, 
uh, he, that, that's not his customer at all. So a marker for him is somebody who's already playing with some sort of speculative stuff. And so I would take him, for example, so the Kentucky Derby occurs tomorrow, I would take him and I would run his lead generation ad in Thoroughbred Times, the trade journal for people that own racehorses, which is like the world's worst investment. Pretty much everybody invested in it knows it's the world's worst investment. Everybody is hoping against hope against hope against hope against hope that one of the nags they buy is going to be in that race tomorrow and they're willing to pee away an enormous amount of money to try and make that happen. If we're selling llama farm derivatives, that's our guy. Dad, who worked at the same company for 44 years and lived way beneath his means and saved all his money and paid off his house, he's not the guy to try and sell llama farm derivatives to. So there's behavioral markers that tell us things. So if we're a chiropractor, who might be our whale? Our whale would be somebody with a severe chronic condition. A whale is unlikely to be somebody who just fell off a ladder and hurt themselves this weekend and is pretty much going to get that taken care of in a relatively short period of time. Our whale's going to be somebody with chronic and severe issues, has a lot of affluence or top insurance, and ideally shows some open-mindedness to non-medical care, which we might get to by what magazines he subscribes to, has he bought herbs by mail, uh, something like that. The upscale restaurant, who's the whale? Somebody who frequently dines out and does both lunch and dinner. And typically, the size of the check says it's more than him and his spouse. Now, in that case, all that information is available. You can rent it from American Express. So if you open a steakhouse in, in Dayton, Ohio, a high-end steakhouse, and you want to get a list of everybody who's using their American Express card frequently at both lunch and dinner with a large check size, you can get that. They'll let you steal the other restaurant's customers. All right? And they will sell you that data. So that's a good marker of a whale in that business. If we're selling Aspen condo vacation homes, we might look for subscribers to the high-end Colorado magazine, and it's going to a non-Colorado address. Right? We might look for that. We want them to have home ownership somewhere else because a buyer of something is a buyer of something is a buyer of something. We don't want them to be a renter. The interior decorator, a marker would be recent purchase of a high-priced home because they can't wait to rip something apart and replace it. And they subscribe to high-end magazines, architectural digest, and so forth. So whatever business you're in, if you think it through, there are markers of likely whales that are data-driven, they're behavioral, they're not necessarily demographic, they're behavioral, and in many cases, once you figure that out, there is a access path in order to get it and do target marketing. There's time-sensitive stimulus that affects someone becoming a whale who was not one a month ago, 
and may not be one six months from now. And that happens a lot in business. So some big benchmarks are marriage, especially second or third to younger. That will often spark a great deal of spending in a short period of time. If you haven't heard Joan Rivers' first wife, second wife comedy routine, go to YouTube, take a look at it. It's a good lesson in this. Similarly, recent divorce. So divorce often prompts a sudden flow of spending and elevates somebody to whale status who wasn't there before and may not be there six months, 12 months from now. We know, for example, in the weight loss business, the cosmetic dentistry business, the cosmetic surgery business, for guys, the hair restoration business, a lot of that, somebody, their, their willingness to spend, their interest in spending, their price sensitivity issues are all altered when they get a divorce, right? So it was okay to be fat, bald, you know, and ugly when you, after 30 years of marriage, but three months after the end of the marriage, uh, fat, bald, and ugly don't work so well. So all of a sudden, they're a whale in spending. Home purchase makes somebody a whale. So hitting certain age benchmarks suddenly makes them susceptible to spending on different things and at a different level than they were before, the sale of a business. So often, the millionaire next door type has spent a good part of his life building up a business. He now sells it, and he suddenly, briefly, has more money in cash at one time than he has ever had in his life. There's an ancient bad joke about this. So I'll tell it, and I'll, I'll make it clean. It's funnier, though, if I don't make it clean. You want to vote? Um, so um, so uh, a, guy comes into the bar, a guy comes into a bar with his dog. Dog sits on the bar stool next to him. Bartender says, you can't have a dog in here. We serve food. You can't have a dog in here. The guy says, you, you better think about that because this dog's really cool. He does something hardly any dog will do. He'll go get me a pack of cigarettes. The guy says, come on. He says, no, watch. Gives the dog $2 and says, go get me a pack of Luckies. And the dog runs out of the bar. And not too long after that, he's back. And he's got a, pair of, a pack of Luckies in his mouth. And after the guy takes the Luckies, he even spits out the change onto the, onto the bar. Bartender says, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. I didn't know a dog could do that. He's like, well, can I get him to do it for me? He says, sure. So the bartender hands him a 20 and says, go get me a pack of Luckies. And dog, 20 in his mouth, runs out, and the dog don't come back. And he don't come back, and he don't come back, and he don't come back. And they finally go looking for the dog, and they find him out in the alley, and he is engaged in rather violent and excited lovemaking with a little poodle. And the owner yells at him, says, what on earth? He says, I never had that much money before. So, uh, um, see, it's, it's even funny or dirty, but so... Uh, and it's really old, but it's a good joke. Uh, so somebody sells a business, all of a sudden they got all this cash, right? And it changes their behavior. They're suddenly a whale. They didn't have cash before. All their net worth was tied up in their business, right? And so Vegas, for example, targets those people, right? That's a whale for Vegas, possibly. So the sale of a business, retirement, suddenly taking on a new hobby or new recreational pursuit, 
for a brief period of time, somebody may rise to whale spending status because of that diagnosis with a disease. A person who's likely to take proactive response to that suddenly becomes a whale. So you see, if you watch, if you watch direct response ads on TV, a big direct response advertiser is Cancer Centers of, of America. Okay? And it's a for-profit hospital advertising for a family member or the person who has just been diagnosed with cancer. Because to them, that's a whale. Okay? And two days before the diagnosis, that person was useless to them. So these markers can affect it dramatically. Whale sightings, here's categories where we find a disproportionate percentage these days. Boomers and se seniors, if you've read the No Best Marketing to Boomers and Seniors book, you're familiar with many of the statistics about this. It is the first time, really, that the classic de demographic patterns are sort of disrupted. Okay? Older are continuing to spend in ways that no prior generation in their age bracket spent, and younger are not spending in the way they're supposed to spend to create replacement spending. And there's been a shift of discretionary spending to 60 and 70-year-olds who are now behaving. 70 is the new 50. We have seen it. I have clients in the skincare business. And we have seen a dramatic shift in the age of the buyer in the past 10 years of skincare and of really expensive skincare. It used to sort of stop right around 60. That was sort of, okay, from here on out, the hell with it. You know, that sort of, you know, now um, I have a client who sells, uh, by direct marketing, a $680 home skincare thing. Okay? And the sweet spot of that buyer in seven years has migrated from 48 to 71. That's how far it has shifted. And you wouldn't think a 71-year-old, but they are. So boomers and se seniors, uh, boomer and senior professionals, a lot of spending there, a lot of whales to be found there for their issues. So I have a client right now in the dental field who's doing very, very well, selling high-priced coaching to dentists about how to retire in practice rather than by sale of the practice. Because even if you sell the practice, right now, what are you gonna do with the money? Because there's no conservative place to put the money to get any yield. So you need to learn how to retire, but keep your practice and your income source, and he's doing very, very, very well. Late life divorced, big category. It's where the greatest growth is, it's 50 plus. Okay. Uh, it's no longer, gee, I only got eight years left before one of us kicks the bucket. It's now I got 38 years left before one of us kicks the bucket, and this is intolerable. So the late life divorced people are suddenly buying houses. They're suddenly buying all the stuff that nobody in their ages used to buy before. Late life second families. So you have a lot of the, I'm gonna get it right the second time around and they spend like whales, uh, secure affluence with bucket lists. There's a whole, kind of ever since that movie. That movie was sort of an infomercial for spending money uh, uh, late in life before you die. Um, and so that is a category. The frustrated fixed income investor, 
affluence involved in high cost competitive hobbies and recreation. Right. So the $800 putter is a reality. You know, uh, um, I think it was Charlie who said this morning, a $65 fishing lure, right? Now, and if you're not in one of these categories, you like have no idea unless you go look, okay? So like that was a piece of news to me, right? I'm thinking fishing lures are like five bucks at Walmart. That's what I'm thinking. It never occurred to me somebody spent $75, $65 for a stupid fishing lure. But now there's stuff that I would spend that money on that, you, that everybody else would say, what? How can that possibly be, right? And so there's all these categories. How many of you get or have ever read um, Cowboys and Indians magazine? Raise your hands. You'll learn more if you look around looking at them than looking at me. Okay, there aren't many hands. You should, if you're interested in marketing to the fluent, you should actually go, you can buy it on a newsstand. So next time you're at a Barnes & Noble, buy one. You will be astounded if you have not paid any attention to this. This is, how many of you know what the Rob Report is? Okay, good. This is the Rob Report on steroids for people who are pretending to be cowboys. That's what this is, okay? And so it's a magazine of home furnishings and apparel and jewelry uh, and boots and specially raised super-duper horses to ride that never do anything wrong and it's all ungodly expensive. You look at it, you say, I can't even believe people are spending this kind of money on this stuff, but in that subculture category, there's affluent people spending a great deal of money. Second act, entrepreneurs, international travelers, and as I said, the anti-aging youth buyer. Uh, nobody is willing to go quietly into the good night anymore. They are going kicking and screaming and spending money. Uh, there's, I know people here who are in the anti-aging, hormone replacement, kind of the Syngenics kind of business. How many of you have noticed the Syngenics ads? Not many, huh? Geez, a lot of you who didn't raise your hand, look, you look like you could use something like it, I gotta <laughs> tell you. Um, uh, I mean, pretty much everything's sagging, you know what I'm saying? Um, so th this is a very successful direct response campaign, big ads. Uh, it's a licensed doctor in each area delivering a certain kind of anti-aging treatment. This is a very big category of spending right now in which there are a lot of whales. So you got to think through in your business category, in your business, who might be the whales, what might be a whale for you, what criteria you want to establish for the whale you want to now deliberately go get. Just as example, I'll tell you mine. So clients, not GKIC members now, but clients, okay, A, I need somebody who will invest upwards from $75,000 on a project. And that rules out a whole lot of people. Not just because as Barbara accused me of, they're cheapskates. It's the size and scope of their opportunity doesn't warrant spending that kind of money. Doesn't mean they're wrong at all, just means they're wrong for me, right? They might be a great client for somebody else, they're just not a good client for me, which gets to they have a sufficient size and scope and growth potential of their opportunity 
So one way or another, they can give me the compensation I want, and there's a likelihood of year-to-year-to-year-to-year continuation of a relationship. They have to be reasonably intelligent and capable. So the number one way that freelance copywriters don't get their royalties is the client can't implement the work after they get it. The number two way freelance copywriters don't get their royalties is the client can't implement. The number three way freelance copywriters don't get their royalties is the client can't. So they have to be relatively intelligent and capable, or to me, they're not particularly valuable because I don't just get money on the front, I get money on the back, they have to be respectful, well-behaved, and low-maintenance. Right? Now, for somebody else, again, but not for me. So a high-maintenance client's no good for me. So they have to evidence that they can be trained to be high-maintenance with everybody else if they want to, but be low-maintenance with Dan, or th- that's not going to work. They have to be a leader or a leader in the making in a field so they're useful to me in catching another whale. I do want, I don't, I don't need a multiplier effect anymore, but I'd like to have a duplication effect. I'd like the probability that one will give me another one. Now customers, so if you now think more of folks that are sitting here in the room, a whale for us is somebody who in their lifetime with us, Canon will spend $100,000 or more. We jokingly call it the $100,000 club. Um, Dustin Matthews has asked that we come up with a pin, um, and he's right, by the way. Um, but we have quite a few people who have spent $100,000 and more during the time they have been with us, and there are behavioral characteristics of those people. They own and operate one or more businesses that are good vehicles to apply our methods to. So the person who dreams of being in business but isn't in business, not a good customer for us, might be a good customer for somebody else, not a good customer for us. The person who confuses a website with a business, not a good customer for us, maybe a good customer for somebody else, not a good customer for us. Preferably, they're an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur in the making. So business people divide into three categories. There's the be-your-own-boss person. Again, nothing wrong with them. They're just not really valuable to us. Be-your-own-boss person is somebody who wants to do what they were doing when they had a boss and keep doing it without the boss. Car mechanic opens an auto repair shop, not because he's an entrepreneur. He just wants to fix cars and not have somebody telling him what to do. That's, That's the level of his ambition. Okay. The small business owner, slightly higher level of ambition, but still pretty much restricted. And often what we do, what you're a part of, sort of just annoys them. Okay. It, it just bothers them. So the entrepreneur is best for us. High income professionals, very good for us. Okay. Study ethic and work ethic. Okay. For us, if they won't read, if they won't listen, if they won't watch, and they won't work, Uh, they're not going to be a whale for us. And they aren't really going to be around very long either. So knowing this, then, you start to make a lot of strategic and tactical decisions about how you weight the way you spend your resources, where you go to get customers, 
what you say to attract customers so that you attract more whales than you attract anything else. So there's three basic ways to get whales. One is real small pond fishing. That's where you make a hit list and you go after them. We'll talk about each of these in some detail. Second is wide net fishing. You create an environment where whales rise up out of the water, knock all the minnows out of the way, and swim to you. Last is wide net fishing with lead generation rather than play strategy in which whale bait is advertised and they come to you. Now those really are the only three ways that you are going to get to whales. So let's talk about each one. So small pond fishing. So that's where you build, by some means, a direct hit list. That might have 50 people on it. It might have 500 people on it. It might have 5,000 people on them. But you have literally hand-picked them. You know they're a whale if you can get them. So if you're familiar with the David Ogilvy story, so how many in here, at least the name, David Ogilvy, raise your hands. Very good, okay? So the, most of you probably know the story. So when Ogilvy started his own advertising agency, he made a list of his 100 dream accounts. And he made a great priority out of trying everything he knew how to do to bring himself to the attention of those 100 accounts. And over a period of time, I believe the number's 38, if my memory serves me correctly. The story's in the book Ogilvy on Advertising, if you're curious about the precise number. Um, and so he knew exactly who he wanted to get. I'll tell you a very cool story about this. And I went back and dug up old notes so I would get it right, because this is old, and yet it is applicable today as it was when it occurred. Um, so this guy comes to me, he lives in Minneapolis. Hey, by the way, guys, don't make that decision from, from me. If I still have paper on this, paper ought to be on the screen. When I take the paper away, I should be on the screen. Um, so this guy comes and he's, he's in the leadership training business. Um, and what he wants, he wants to get off the road. He doesn't want to run around the country anymore. He lives in Minneapolis and his question is, how can I get whales in Minneapolis? Well, his business, he sells to a company at the time. One CEO goes in training. Ten key executives go into a mastermind group and meet with him monthly. And there's company-wide training four times a year. And he sells it for 50 grand. Okay? Now, this is a while ago. And he wants five of them in Minneapolis. And that's all he wants. So the strategy we arrived at was, first of all, go make a list. Come back to me with a list of 100 companies, 100 CEOs who you believe, you have reason to believe, you know by having researched them that they are leadership-oriented people who will have an interest in this somehow, be especially susceptible to this somehow, and have the right size company and the right type of company and all of that. Right? We then created three things. We created a book cover for Minneapolis's top business leaders and 21st century le leadership. Understand, we, didn't, we created a book cover. We created a full-page newspaper ad for the book, which had the names of these 100 people in it as the people who were featured in the book. 
We didn't run the newspaper ad, you understand? We just created the newspaper ad. Mm -hmm. We went to, at the time, Walden's and Dalton's still had bookstores and malls. You may remember if you go back far enough. And Walden's and Dalton's had a fairly robust local author section, and they would pretty much take any local author's book on consignment. They wouldn't buy it, but they would let you as a local author put 12 copies in there, and if they sold, they'd take 12 more and so forth. So we got a letter from Walden's and Dalton's saying that they were looking forward to stocking and displaying this book. All right, so we now have three things. We have a book cover, we have a newspaper ad, and we have a letter from Walden's and Dalton's that says they're going to put the book in the store. That's what we got. Then we go to the top 100. He goes to them to book the interviews with them to put them in the book. That's the pitch. Is Here's a FedEx package with book cover, newspaper ad, letter from Walden's and Dalton's. I want to interview you for this book. I need 90 minutes of your time, etc. Hundred went out, 63 interviews were booked. 38 of those interviews led to follow-up meetings now to talk about what can you do in my company now that I've discovered that we're, you know, compadres in this interest in leadership and you appear to be sane, et cetera, et cetera. And that led to 16 clients. All right, he wanted five. All right. So that's hit list. That's what that is. It's also sneaky stuff, which I thought some of you would enjoy, but, 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 but I mean, it's hit list. Mm -hmm. On two different occasions, I've gone into niche markets, sold a newsletter subscription, has the entry point in the market, but signed up the target list of whales as if they had subscribed. Because a lot of people subscribe to a lot of stuff, particularly whales, and they don't remember what they subscribe to. So if they get a welcome letter and an invoice marked paid and, and the first issue of this thing that says they subscribe to it, they think they subscribe to it. I don't know. And so we took the hit list and put them in as if they had paid and let them mature as customers. So that's hit list. Okay? Understand you could do the same thing with a newsletter about fine wines if you had a fine wine store in a community. You could figure out who the 50 people were in that community who fit your definition of a whale. They all have wine cellars. They all, buy, they all subscribe to Wine Aficionado magazine. They all live in a home worth more than a half a million dollars. Uh, whatever that whale criteria is, you could put them on the hit list and you could make them believe they had signed up for this really cool newsletter about fine wines that happened to promote your fine wine store and your fine wine events, you could play exactly the same game. Okay? Second, wide net fishing with play strategy. So I just sent uh, Cabane a note, Anito Cabane, to remind him of this. So again, this is an old story, but it is as applicable today, which is why I just sent a reminder note to, to Nito. So there's a speaker by the name of Chris Haggerty. This probably goes 15 years ago, management guy. And so Chris buys some time, and we're sitting at lunch in a resort in Phoenix. I can't remember which one. And he's um, United, I think United Airlines Magazine. It's either United or Continental. Had done, for real, a four-page story on him. 
So the reporter, the journalist, the freelance writer, whoever, had come to one of his seminars, they'd hung out backstage with him, they'd gone to his office, they were just fascinated with what he was doing for reasons that were a mystery to me, but they were. And so they had done this four-page article, pictures, favorable article, picture of his book, et cetera, et cetera. And as he said to me at lunch, when it hit, which was a year ago, it booked me for the next eight months. I didn't have to do anything. All of a sudden, what we would now call whales are calling the office one right after the other, and we want you to come speak how much he quotes a fee. They say, great, that's what happened. He says, but it's been 10 months, and that's stopping. How, what do I do now? I said, well... You could just pay and run the article again. Just because you got it free once doesn't mean you couldn't pay and put it in there again. And if they insist, they're going to put paid advertisement across the top of it in tiny little letters. But who cares? Right place, right message. Let's just repeat it, right? Which is what he did twice one year after the other, paid the writer, bought the ad space from the magazine, ran the same article. This month's Delta Airlines magazine has a four-page article about High Point University, and if you look closely, it says paid advertisement at the top. Uh, So he has already done it. Probably didn't get an article, and so put the article in there that he wanted. But what he needs to now remember is if it works, if it gets response, it will stop and run it again because people will have forgotten it and parade of moving interest and so forth. In um, trade shows, consumer shows, if you're a consumer marketer, some people call all of them trade shows, but they're not. Trade show is an industry show. A consumer show is a show like at the mall, home show, that kind of thing. These are very effective places to be, um, but often most people do a horrible job once they are there, and then blame the show. So the correct show strategy, you need a pre-show strategy, you need an at-show strategy, you need a post-show strategy, but that can be a terrific place for a whale to find you. And the important thing to know about whales is they are often in environments where they don't belong necessarily, but it's the only ocean they found. And whale hunting is about, it's okay if there's 5,000 minnows and only two whales, as long as we don't kill ourselves finding the whales, we're in a place where they can find us. The first year that we exhibited for a company I own, that uh, disc is here that does CDs in the exhibit hall. I used to be in that business eons ago, a lifetime ago but cassettes, not discs, but producing for speakers. We produced product for probably, I don't know, two-thirds of the speakers in the country, including Brian. And uh, so we would go to the trade show, the National Speakers Association show, which there would be 900 minnows. Maybe good customers for somebody else, but not good customers for us. They were just getting started in speaking. They needed 50 units. They had no money. We're looking for an entirely different kind of guy. And the very first year they were there, a guy comes up to the booth, 
I wasn't in the booth. It was reported to me afterwards. And it was reported, we don't know what to do. So my two people in the booth said, we don't know what to do. Something just happened, and we don't know what to do about it. I said, what just happened? This guy came up, and he gave us this American Express card. And he said, write up an order for everything you sell. I'm going to go walk around the show, and I'll be back in an hour to pick up my card. We don't know what to do. <laughs> By the way, if you aren't watching them, um, a whole lot of people have staff that don't know how to take money. By the way, it's a very common problem. Uh, um, I said, do what he told you to do. Okay? Let's all put our heads together and think of everything we have. Not just here, anywhere. <laughs> right? Right? And put it on a piece of paper and get the calculator. And when he comes back, you know, which was, I don't know, it was 9000 some odd dollars was what it was when he came back. His name was Dr. Peter Fernandez, a practice management guy in chiropractic uh, industry. And uh, he was a whale. He wound up being a great client. Terrific client for us, terrific client for me personally. I spoke for him at least 60 times at his events and made a whale of a lot of money. I don't know if I could have found him, and then if I could have got to him, and our conversation would have been very different than this conversation because we put ourselves in a place where he could find us. So if you remember from the wealth book, there's three of the wealth magnets are this, be somebody, be somewhere, and do something so that a whale can find you. That's really place strategy. So I have some great place strategy examples for you. So my favorite, then I have some to show you, but my favorite is Sid, Sidney Barrows, who you, some of you know. There's a book she and I co-authored. Right? And in her former life, eons ago, for those of you that don't know, Sidney ran an escort service in New York. The highest priced at the time, there was a big news splash all over the New York Post and the news with the perp walk and the raincoat and, you know, all that. And she was called the Mayflower Madam. And one of the most interesting things about Sydney is, so many of you would not pay any attention to this, so I'm telling you all things you don't know. And every guy in the room, you nod. This is stuff you don't know. Okay? So most escort services at the time would advertise in the yellow pages. Um, you find them in the phone book, and they would advertise in the cheap kind of tabloidy, weekly entertainment, free, pick it out of a rack newspaper. Right? And in New York City for many years, there was, a, there was a really awful newspaper published by a guy by the name of Al Goldstein um, uh, called Screw, which pretty much tells you the subject matter of this newspaper. And Goldstein was not very particular about advertising standards, so most of the escort service ads in Screw were pretty explicit about the kind of escort you were getting. And so, but Sydney's the only one who ever managed to advertise an escort service in the Financial Times. Right. New York, of course, has a lot of international traffic. They have the United Nations, they have Wall Street. People come from all over the world to come to New York to do business 
with Wall Street and to do business with the United Nations, and they all read the Financial Times on the airplane on the way over. And they are all pretty affluent, and most of them have different attitudes from the countries they're coming from about all this than the attitudes we have about it here. Her ad was allowed to say almost nothing, because after all, it was in the Financial Times, but it said enough. It brought clients who spent four, five, six, seven, eight times the average of a client obtained through any other means. It is brilliant place strategy because it's a place no one else will go in your category of business. So my friend Matt Zagula's principle is show up like no one else, and one of my favorite principles is show up alone. Be the only one who shows up in this place. So I told you about the jewelry store at the horse auctions. It's exactly the same principle. So here he is, and I'm going to show you some other stuff later because I just did a bunch of work for a client in this industry. But this is a two-page ad, so I'll show you this page first and this page second, which looks like this. This is for a very successful matchmaking company providing find a date, find a mate, find a wife services to very affluent guys. It's called Valenti International. Okay? Um, $25,000 fee, sort of the starting point. The ad I've just shown you, where would you think you would find this ad? Airplane magazines, and yes, you would. Where else? Anybody, where else? Rob Report, maybe. Forbes, if they would take it, maybe. Hmm? Wine Spectator, if they would take it. Yeah, Wine Spectator is maybe the best answer, the closest. So this ad is running in um, uh, Hemings uh, Motor News which, and in the DuPont Registry, which are magazines for collectors of high-priced classic cars. That's where this ad is running. Now, 90% of the ads are all car stuff. Right? They're all related to ownership of collector cars. However, you want to think about who the consumer is reading that magazine, not what the magazine is about. We don't care what it's about. Who's reading it? 50-year and up affluent guys who buy classic cars. Not that women don't buy them, but you know it's like 80% guys. Right? And some of them, if they'll drop $80,000 for a 1956 Plymouth, uh, they might very well drop 25 grand for her, right? or at least a shot at her. Now they are no longer alone because in the same magazine is a less classy version of the same business. Um, so this is model quality introductions. If you are ready to settle down with an eight, nine, or ten, we need to talk, etc. Stunning singles. Uh, may join our registry for free. If you're a stunning female single, you join for free. Um, and speaking of Forbes, so whoever said Forbes, this is Forbes, and this is an ad for Selective Search, another company in this industry, in Forbes magazine, which is read by affluent investors. So that's place strategy 
let a whale find us and let's try and be the only one there. Another whale hunting ad campaign you've probably seen or know about is the four minute a day, $14,000 home exercise machine. Okay. I am told by reliable sources this thing's real, it works, however, you have to be in good enough shape you don't need it before you use it for the first time, otherwise it kills you. That's, that's, that's what I've been told by reliable sources. So, however, this ad runs a lot, and it runs in lots and lots and lots of magazines. Now, the dumb person would run it only in fitness magazines, but this happens to be from the Rob Report, is where this particular ad is running. Okay. So these are place strategies. Let a whale find us. Our gardener's mattress friends who are here um, who sell very expensive mattresses. One of the places they are advertising in, because they're a local brick and mortar, is, if you haven't heard this before, is in the Yellow Pages, but in chiropractic. Right? They're not chiropractors. It's called out-of-category advertising. Right now, they're the only ones there. So, person waking up every morning with a bad back, chronic condition, finally is looking at chiropractors in the Yellow Pages, which tells us, almost without exception, he's, he or she is 55 and up, or they wouldn't be looking in the Yellow Pages. Right? There's a very aged demarcation to the use of that ad media right now. So he's 55 and up, which odds are he's more affluent than somebody 40 and below. He's got a chronic condition, a severe condition, and often he can't get a good night's sleep. And oh, I was about to go to a chiropractor, but maybe I could solve my problem with a really good mattress. And so they are showing up where no one else shows up. Third way we can get them is wide net fishing with lead generation. So here we actually advertise whale bait. Okay? And this is where pretty much everybody, regardless of the business they're in, becomes an info marketer. And often it is a mistake not to. If you go back to the Valenti ads, and the selective search ads and so forth. I'm going to show you a different version of them in a few minutes. The mistake that is made with those ads, so not that any of them have asked me, but if they ask, it's almost certainly I could get them a better return on investment on their ad dollars with one simple change. And it's a GKIC marketing change that you all should know, but just in case it has slipped your attention. They have one reason to respond in all their advertising. And it is a reason that has a fairly high threshold resistance. It requires you to be ready or nearly ready to hire somebody to matchmake for you. And it requires you to be willing to get on the telephone and have a personal conversation with somebody about this knowing that they are going to try and sell you something. And that's the only offer they make. They would immediately get more response to their ad 
if they had a second offer that essentially was, if you're not ready for that, but this got your attention and you're curious, here's how to take a little step instead of a bridge too far. You can get our free CD, our free DVD, you can look at a free webinar, you can get a free report, you can get a free book, etc. Sometimes they would find they would be better off making the entire ad about that, all about easy to get whale bait, and then moving people to them. But they ought to at least have it has two reasons to respond, not one. A lot of people don't do it because they fear they will trade away the immediate response and drive everybody to the easier, delayed response. This rarely happens. Most of the time, when you advertise, you will still get the buy now person, but you will also get a bunch of people who are not ready to buy now, but are mentally moving in that direction. And you don't get any of them if you advertise the way they do. So most whale bait, not all whale bait, but most whale bait is information. It allows somebody to get information without having to engage a salesperson in order to get it. And if you stop to think about yourself in a category where you would be a whale, Odds are you have frequently seen things that you might be willing to buy, seen advertisers who interest you, but not enough to immediately engage with a salesperson. But had you an opportunity to get some more information, you might have taken up that opportunity and then moved in that direction. So why net fishing is really all about that. So I'll show you a direct whale whistle, a very simple one, for starters. So this is a client of mine who had just done a lot of work for us, so you are seeing raw work, not finished work, um, but who is a very high-end financial advisor who only, his, he only deals with whales, he wants no others, and he has a very specific whale. The whale is somebody who has recently sold their company for a certain amount of money. That's his client. And he doesn't want anybody else. So the lead generation ad has a direct whale whistle in it. If you intend to sell, are selling, or have recently sold a company worth $10 million to $40 million or more, that's the whale whistle. Okay which clearly says if you aren't selling a company, if you haven't sold a company, if you're selling one for $2 million, don't bother me. I'm not your guy. Go someplace else. Here's who this is for. I have vital experience-based information your own CPA attorney and other intermediaries may not tell you and may not even know. And this is an information offer. In this case, it drives to a free video. So this is a direct whale whistle ad. Some can be more subtle. Uh, those of you that are info marketers, if you were like A to Z uh, blueprints, I showed, which I did not bring to show. I have other things to show. But I showed the campaign that Matt Segula and I did in the financial advisor niche where we used the trust book 
the precursor to the NoBS trust-based marketing book, has the whale bait, has the lead generation magnet. We made it clear that it was only for advisors earning a certain amount of income. When they got to the website to request the book, that was re-verified. Literally, if you don't fit this criteria and you'd like the book, please go to Amazon and buy it. But if you fit this criteria, we'd be happy to give it to you for free. Another part of this, which many of you have seen versions of, again, I'm going to show you a financial advisor one really quick, is the match them up piece or copy, where we tell the profile of who our best clients are, and you can see if you fit one of these profiles. So this is a different financial advisor campaign. This is what kind of people rely on Phyllis. And there's a photo for each one, and there's copy for each one. I'm not going to show you all the photos, but just so you get a feel. So this is retirees who want complete peace of mind about their finances so they can fully enjoy life. And we got, you know, the rugged-looking guy next to the classic car. And then we have copy all about why people who want to really enjoy their life use Phyllis. Then we have seniors with a need for income from their life savings without undue risk. And there's a bunch of copy about that. We have investors still seeking growth from their investment portfolio. We have women responsible for their own finances or who may become responsible for their own finances. So if you're slowly poisoning him and you know you're getting close, you're for us. You're our client. People with tax bombs embedded in IRAs, 401ks, pension accounts, and so forth. Uh, People with health problems or family histories of serious medical problems. Um, I think I'm out. Oh, present business owners or retired business owners. And there's a page of copy, which I am not going to take time to wade through, for each one of these people. So we're not advertising really Phyllis, and we're not advertising her services. We'll get to that. We're advertising for the people who match up with the profile of the customer that we want. Saying, fit one of these profiles? You're for us, we're for you, come forward, get more, find out more. I'll take you through a few more examples. So this is, I just, in this matchmaking field, I just did a lot of work for a client uh, in the It's Just Lunch network, if you're familiar with It's Just Lunch. And they unfortunately have, much like these other ads, they have a sales culture business rather than a marketing culture business. So they have, raise your hand if you're ready to, for us to match you with somebody and call up and talk to a salesperson who will now try and sell you. That's a sales culture business. We really want a marketing culture business that will get whales. So I'll just show you some of the ad copy very quickly and make a couple of points. So this is... So this is Washington, D.C. area where they have an operation. So single and divorced men are wanted now by elite, intelligent, sexy women in Montgomery and Fairfax County in Washington, D.C. And now it says who we want. Busy professionals, executives, entrepreneurs, and retired military officers who are fed up with dead-end dates and who know how to treat a lady are desired now for casual dating and for committed relationships. All the way down to a number, a number of our clients are members of the Kennedy Center. <laughs> 
Now that happens to be a bias of their clients, it's real. And so some of their best clients happen to be members of and donors to the Kennedy Center. So okay, if that's the case, why don't we say that so we maybe will attract some more of them. Uh, they are concerned with their privacy and their reputations. Uh, you will see, if you studied all this copy, you would see a lot of alarm all the way through it. And this is purely an information offer. This is not a call. So this is to get the whole story about Dating Smart go to, and it drives to a website. Okay. Here's another ad. New free report after divorce dating. Okay. We want the person who's been out of the game for a while and now doesn't know how to play the game. Reveals what the busy, successful, recently divorced professional man must know about today's dating scene, online dating websites, et cetera, et cetera. The drive is to a free report, which they get at afterdivorcedating.com. This is how can the busy, successful single dentist escape dead-end dating once and for all? Dentists fed up with none of the rest of the copy changes, by the way. The rest of it's all generic. Okay? But there's a dentist version, there's a lawyer version, there's a CPA version, there's a, pretty much any high-income profession that has a city or state journal in which we can run an ad. There's a version of this ad. Then there's the matchup thing, like I just showed you with Philip, a uh, Phyllis. So here, men who do not dare date their associates, colleagues, or peers. And there's a whole page of copy about that. Men who value their privacy. And here's a great alarm paragraph because this is Washington, D.C. Some of our clients hold security clearance status, have positions with federal government agencies, and have worked hard out of necessity to keep their personal lives private. Okay? One of the things about It's Just Lunch, by the way, is the first date, you don't even know last names. You meet first name only and decide whether you want to go any further. Uh, men, who, men who are extremely busy, Work a lot. By the way, I'm showing you the male version. There's a female version of this for the female prospects, and much of it is the same. It's just the gender's changed a little bit. The language has changed just a little. Uh, men who are extremely busy, work a lot of hours, work odd hours, and are into their work. Right? Uh, many men who put their careers or business first know this about themselves, but are reluctant to voice it to someone they want to date or create relationship with. But you can tell us the unvarnished truth. We are very accustomed to having hard-driving type A alpha men as clients, as well as men who work unusual hours, travel on business, and so forth and so on. So somebody can match themselves up with that. Men who have been out of the game for a long time. If you ended a long marriage or committed relationship and find yourself returning to single life, you're in deep trouble. Um, <laughs> exceptionally successful men with much at risk. Over 80% of online dating profiles of body false or embellished information in the online dating sites are used by outright predators and gold diggers seeking affluent men to take advantage of them. That's why you need this service. Men who worry about emotionally unstable women. We have never had a psycho woman incident or complaint from our clients. Okay. Now, we'll shift gears. Um, so here's B2B. Here's, my, here's a client of mine who markets to real estate agents. And his whales are relatively successful, experienced real estate agents 
who are making okay money, but they're not happy with what they're having to do to get the money. That's his whale. His whale is not somebody going down for the third time who needs a life raft. His whale is not somebody who's woefully unsuccessful, because generally speaking, there's a reason why woefully unsuccessful people are woefully unsuccessful. They won't implement, they won't follow instructions, they won't work, they won't study. So they're of no value to him either. He needs somebody who can spend 800 bucks a month. That's like the first criteria. So this copy is, if you keep thinking there just has to be a better way, and here's who this is for, experienced successful agent, an experienced struggling agent, or agents with a coach. So again, we are calling out specifically to the person that we want, and we know who we want, and then we are letting them come to us. Last example of his. The key words are, so why don't you have a study and reliable inflow, good leads from your advertising, marketing, prospecting, most agents can't accurately, but, but the key line here, even after years of experience and a level of success, that's the whale whistle embedded in otherwise generic lead generation ad copy. That's the whale whistle. So there's a three-step specific customer focus process to get you to this point. First step is intelligence, information about your target customer. So that can be demographics, which is where most people tend to go. So most people go to demographic data. Age, gender, income, married, single, etc. There are very good people in our world ROI guy is here in the exhibit hall, I think. Very good at analytics. Right. Then there are psychographics. Psychographics have to do with mindset, how people think. So for example, if you go back to the matchmaking service, category, one of the mindset issues that makes somebody a better client prospect than another is that they are a professional who get paid for providing expert professional service. They're more prone to accept the idea of an expert professional doing that for them than somebody who is not in that business themselves. So psychographic issues have to do with how your whales think and not enough is done trying to figure that out and have a profile of that in your mind. Emotional background. So emotional background gets to when, where, and how they were raised. Okay. What they heard at the top of the stairs as a kid. Age benchmarks typically tied to different backgrounds ethnicity, religion. So a good question to ask yourself about your customers are, is, what are their top five beliefs and values? 
if they knew they were going to die tomorrow and they were going to write a belief and value document to leave to their kids, what would they talk about? For our whales, one of those five is pull your straps, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and stand on your own two feet, work ethic. Most of our good customers, that's one of the five things they devoutly believe in. They may have somewhat fictionalized now their own behavior in that category to be a bit more heroic than it actually was. Does not make any difference. It's on their top five list. Okay? Another good question is what are their emotional anchors? And most people's emotional anchors have to do with year they were born, uh, year they got their first car, year they graduated from high school, year they graduated from college, year they got married. That's pretty much where you're going to find their emotional anchors. So if you know their age, generally, of your whale, you can now back that up. What are the two or three years where they probably graduated from college? What are the two years where they probably graduated from, graduated from high school? When did they probably get their first car? Then you can go look at what was going on during those years. What were the songs? Okay, so the big brand advertisers are playing that game aggressively these days. They are going and licensing songs that fit certain age markers within the life experience of their target customers and they're using those songs in their commercials. So you can go back and you can see what the price of milk was, you can see what the price of a house was, you can see what the song was that year, you can see what the big historical event was that year. Those are all anchors that are very meaningful to those customers. Current state of mind. Okay. So that's the, you know, what are they staying awake at night worrying about? Uh, what are the five trends that are affecting them most? What are the top five opinions that they hold right now? So most people have four or five really profoundly held opinions that they state all the time, right? In a lot of conversations in the same conversation, so you get together with your buddy to play golf, your top five opinions come up probably every time you play golf. And your buddy probably agrees with at least four or five out of them or you wouldn't be playing golf with him, so he has the same opinions and you guys spend half the time on your golf course talking about your top five opinions. All right? That's what goes on. All right? So it's useful for us to know what those are if we want to sell this guy something. Where does he stand on Obamacare? Where does he stand politically, generally? What's his opinion about kids, his adult children's age behavior today? How does he and she feel about the big trend of the adult kids moving back in with their parents? For, against, terrified? Angry? Bricked up the room? Where are they? Okay. So you really have, most people spend most of their thought and conversational time, and it's important for you to know this because you would be exceptions. Okay. 
And so it's important for us to know that. But most people spend most of their time just in four places. Okay? Family stuff, occupation stuff, which is mostly complaining, their chief recreational pursuit, and money. And so you kind of need to know where they are mentally and emotionally about those four things in order to connect with them real well. Weaknesses and vulnerabilities. What are your customers' vulnerability buttons that you can really push hard? So we learned. So I'm back doing a lot of work. I mentioned it this morning in the arthritis field. And I'm using customer intelligence that I got some years ago when I spent five days interviewing testimonials for an arthritis product and doing the videotaping of these testimonials. And so men react to arthritis and to aging in general very differently than women react to arthritis and aging in general. So aging in general, men, their primary emotional response is anger and rage. Women's primary emotional response is depression. Now those are two very different things. Men are mad about what they can't do that they used to be able to do or that now they fictionally believe they used to be able to do. Women really don't get mad about it. Women just get depressed about it, and specific to arthritis. So men's reaction to arthritis is rage at having to go to someone to get a cuff buttoned. They are pissed off. Women aren't really mad about it. They're just depressed that they can't garden like they always used to be able to garden. They find that sad. So, if you're going to have this conversation, you have to have one conversation with the men, one conversation with the women. There is no one-size-fits-all conversation in selling anti-age in general, or certainly arthritis in specific. So now we know what his weakness is, and we know what her weakness is. In the hearing aid business, when I did a lot of work in the hearing aid business, we learned very quickly that the greatest vulnerability of all, if you want to sell hearing aids, is fear of being stuck in the home. Because when they can't hear, their adult children start to think they're adult. They may or may not be adult. They're probably not. They just can't hear. So they start behaving like they're adult. And then the adult kids are heard saying, you know, it's probably about time we stick dad in the home where he can't hurt himself. Nobody wants to be stuck in the home. Number one fear as people age is being in the nursing home. So the hearing aid sale is about don't act addled. They will stick you in the home. And if you're acting addled because you can't hear, this little doohickey will keep you out of the home. 
Now, you have to say it a tick more elegantly than that. <laughs> but that's a weakness and vulnerability. Almost every customer group has them, and as does the best customer have them. Language issues, right? So language, who do they read? Who do they listen to? What's their tribal language? And what are dog whistle language terms that are meaningful to them and wouldn't be heard by anybody but them? So good copywriters, when they decide to write to a profile or to a category of consumers, sit down and create a vocabulary list. So what a good copywriter will do is take the magazines they read, the books they read, the stuff they pay attention to, and they'll get themselves some color highlighters, and they'll go through it all, and they'll note repetitively used terms, words, language patterns that this group uses. They'll take the thesaurus, and they'll go through it and find synonyms that can be used They'll take the words that sell thesaurus and they'll build themselves a vocabulary list. And that's what they'll use as they create their marketing messages. They will also get at least one qualified reader to redline their stuff. So a big pet peeve of mine, by the way, is the rush to get stuff out. We do a webinar for this group. Let's jump in front of the camera tomorrow and do the webinar. Right. So I come from a world where we work for three months on that script. Because <laughs> right. we're going to put a half a million dollars of a client's money at stake when we put it on TV. Right. You guys aren't doing that, but you're putting a half a million dollars of your time at stake. Right. So almost always, if I'm working with a tribe I don't know, I'm going to get myself at least one qualified reader. Right. And that is somebody from that tribe who also understands direct response and to redline copy. Just mark the stuff that doesn't ring right to you. I don't want any other opinions. I just want you to catch my language errors. That's what I'd like you to do. So for example, when I work on proactive, the stuff aimed at the kids, it has been a long time since I was a 13-year-old girl with acne. Right? It's been a very long time. So I need a 13-year-old girl with acne who kind of understands direct response to redline for me. And I need her mom for the stuff that we're writing to the mom. So language. The character profile. You should have a clear character profile of your whale, of your ideal client. In detail, like a fiction writer creates a character profile. If you don't know how to do this, I can tell you how to do it at a Barnes & Noble store. I'm sure you can do it at Amazon, but I'm not the guy to tell you how to do it. But at a Barnes & Noble store, there is a section of books for writers. Okay? And you will find books in there strictly about character profile development. They'll even give you 26-page fill-in-the-blank character profile forms to create your fictional character. You do the same thing to build the character who you are going to sell to. 
What you saw last night with Sally is not just helpful about presenting you, it's helpful about building the character profile of who you are going to sell to. Info marketers, by the way, in the room, if you do what we did and you get your herd to take the F-score test and you get the data, uh, you're going to find biases in your herd that now tell you what your character profile is of who your customers are and who your best customers are. Assistance from an insider, befriend at least one, and I want to jump to lists. So, so lists, there's just no excuse if you want to do whale hunting not to use direct mail because the whales already exist in somebody's list. So our, my go-to guy for this with my clients is Craig Simpson, who's here somewhere at Simpson Direct. Let me just show you research for the It's Just Lunch people. Okay. So here's preliminarily what's available to us. Dentists at home addresses, 35 to 49, and 50 to 65, single. And then by income or home value. Lawyers, same deal. Doctors, the same deal. I can get Brooks Brothers, 12-month buyers, age, single. I can get Esquire Magazine, age, single. I can get Forbes, Investors Business Daily, Rob Report, and Playboy by age, single, and occupation. I can get potency pill buyers, age, single. They at least have hope. They tell us a lot of their best clients belong to a gym. They already knew that. Great, good piece of information. Can we use it for something? Yep. He can get me health and gym club members active, 50 to age 65, $100,000 a year income, single. Kennedy Center. Surprisingly, a lot of our clients, they tell me, belong to the Kennedy Center. Great, Kennedy Center rents its list. 12-month donors, and they have a breakout of single. Hooray. The national ad works in airline magazines. Great. I can get frequent travelers at BWI, age, single, frequency of travel, and income. So I can take my profile and I can go into the list universe and I can match it. Second part of the three-step process is now target personal positioning. So basically, Whales mate with whales. So if you're going to go hunt for a whale, you have to present yourself in a way that is really acceptable to the whale. You need some sort of affinity link. So let me show you a good affinity link example. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it because I'm going to be over time here in about five minutes, but I want to tell you that this affinity link thing is extremely important if you want to attract whales. This is another way not to talk about your product, your service, your company, the thing you want to sell, but to talk about the person you want to attract and to hold yourself out to them in a way that they feel affinity with you. So the high-end financial advisor at Arizona who I showed you, Phyllis, so here's her ideal client. They're no younger than 55. The sweet spot is 65 to 80. 
married to the first wife of many years, raised a family, now have an empty nest. They're patriotic. They fly the flag on Veterans Day, Fourth of July, etc. They're politically conservative and they were either born in or more likely moved to Arizona and lived there by preference. They have enough money to go live someplace else if they don't like living in Arizona. So now I want to look with this profile, I want Phyllis to tell me where have we got affinity because I want to show that. And so a Phyllis piece now has this on it, not the 56 credentials and certifications she has as a financial advisor, not how much money she has under management. No, we have a wife married for 30 years, a mother of two. We have disciplined athlete because discipline is useful in a financial advisor. A longtime Arizonan who loves the Southwest life. Okay? I have pulled my affinity links based on the profile of my intended whale client, and I'm talking about them more than I am talking about anything else. The other financial advisor I showed you whose client is a business owner who is selling his business. So here's what Ted tells me about his client. And then I'm going to tell you Ted things that Ted was not using. So here's what Ted tells me his client is. 55 to 70, Depression-era parents or grandparents, post-World War II-era upbringing, may or may not have gone to college, if so, probably with the GI Bill, and worked while attending. Millionaire next door type, Stanley Millionaire next door, built up a business over many years, it's a male, he's tough-minded, he's hard-working. Right? Now here's stuff I find out about Ted that Ted's not using in any of his marketing, because I'm now looking for affinity links. He wants to tell him how much money he's got under management and you know, all that stuff. Ted comes from humble beginnings. No indoor plumbing. Started selling door-to-door -door as a teenager. Worked his way through college. Built a business from the ground up. Owns two homes and he's active with charity. So all my Ted advertising now is about who they are and then about this. You will discover we are probably kindred spirits. I come from very humble beginnings. I began working and selling things door to door to make money at age eight. I worked my way through college, built businesses from the ground up. Right? Now you understand most advisors would think that irrelevant. He thinks it's kind of embarrassing to talk about. The big sales letter now has pictures, which I made him go get, of his house with the outhouse because they had no indoor plumbing. And if he didn't have pictures, we probably would have made pictures. Right? In his book ad, here's about the author. Ted's life began living with his parents and his grandmother in a tiny frame house without indoor plumbing, heated only by a fireplace. He is the first member of his family to get a college degree. Ted has built one successful company. Right? These are affinity links. They don't speak to his efficacy as a money manager. They don't speak to his credentials. They don't speak to his money management process. They're about targeted personal positioning. Third, then we finally get to outreach and invitation. How are we going to communicate with these people that we have selected? 
We want a low threshold opportunity. We want a way to bypass gatekeepers and underlings. Home addresses are best. We want to offer information, but not education. Important thing about whales. They do not want to know how to do it. They want to understand it and know that you know how to do it. So very often, particularly professionals, are busy teaching their prospective client or client or patient or customer how to do things. Whales don't want to do things. They want to find somebody they can trust to do things. They have to understand enough to feel like they're making a good decision about that, but they do not want to be educated. They want to be informed. So if you put those three things together, you can very, very specifically go after precisely the customer you want and say the things that will cause that customer to come to you. And I have 13 seconds left, and I have housekeeping announcements. And then we get to go party. Isn't that fun? Okay. Um, I will say one last thing about this. Understand that in marketing, in prospecting, in advertising, what we all do is we buy a haystack. That's what we do. And we pay for every piece of straw in it. Every haystack has some needles in it. Bad analogy, needle whale, but that's what I mean. Every haystack does. The question for you is, how big a haystack are you going to build for yourself in order to find how few gold needles in it versus how small of a haystack are you going to build for yourself that have a lot of gold needles in it? Most people just build haystacks and then hope to find needles. It doesn't have to be that way. You can invest in a way that builds a much smaller haystack full of needles with this three-step process. You've been listening to one of our gold members-only podcasts. Make sure you upgrade and become a diamond member and get access to the diamond members-only podcast as well. On top of that, you'll also get access to the whole enchilada with all of Dan's courses and so much more. So make sure you upgrade to diamond now by going to diamondupgrade.com.